0: Welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Mishkin Law in Northfield, Illinois. Uh, As promised, we've got a very exciting show for everyone today. We've got a wonderful Grateful Dead show that we're going to listen to. Uh, My good buddy, uh, Alex Wellens, uh, he of uh, reasonable dispute as to whether or not he actually exists, will prove in fact today that he does. And ironically enough, without Rob present to actually see it. So somehow we're going to clip and paste and whatever, and we'll, we'll, put them in the same screen someday somehow uh but we're talking today about a show uh from poly pavilion at ucla campus on november 20th 1971 52 years ago today and if you were there this is how the show began Great traditional opener for Jerry and the Boys. Uh, You would most often see it as a show opener, although it was known to pop up in different spots during shows from time to time. Whenever maybe Jerry just needed to center himself, he'd reach out, pull in a berth, and crank it out. If you remember the words, it was a plus. Um, At this point, though, uh, November 20th, 71, it's still a relatively new song, having been debuted earlier that year on February 18th at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester. It was never released on a studio album, but it is the opening tune on the Dead's live album, Grateful Dead, also known as Skull and Roses or Phil's preferred name, Skullfuck, which was promptly rejected by their label Warner Brothers. And it was released on September 24th, 1971. It's from shows in New York City at the Fillmore East and the Hammerstein Ballroom in the Manhattan Center. And Johnny B. Good from Winterland uh, was one West Coast addition uh, that made it into the show. By late 1971, the Dead's transformation from Primal Dead to American Dead uh, was well on its way. This concert is a great snapshot of this time, uh, the show being more in the Americana camp uh, than it is within the Primal era, notwithstanding the presence of a killer 25-minute jammed-out other one, uh, including Billy's uh, traditional drum solo lead-in of the time, and uh, it's, it's great that they throw that in, but uh, the concert stands on its own with all of the, you know, newer newer material. Uh, the band was in transition. Pigpen missed the, this show and a number of the shows on this tour uh, as part of his continuing descent into his alcohol-related illnesses uh, that eventually took him in March of 1973. Keith Goucho had been playing with the band since February, uh, but Mickey began his leave in February after one night at the Capitol Theater run. So this night is just five of them up on stage Plan their hearts out for the fine students of UCLA and other deadheads. Then, a relatively new thing, uh, the group having just been recognized by the band in the liner message inside the Grateful Dead album stating, Dead Freaks Unite. Who are you? Where are you? How are you? Send us your name and address, and we'll keep you informed. Uh, I have no idea how large uh, the list of deadheads that they have information is today. Um, I'm sure that our good friend uh, Larry V could tell us, given the number of telephone calls he personally made into uh, the Grateful Dead offices back in the day when he was looking for his tickets and all good stuff like that. Um, One fact that should be obvious, given the venue uh, and the time, an unknown UCLA student at the time, an unknown UCLA student and wannabe college basketball player a guy named Bill Walton was in attendance, along with some of his new Bruin teammates for uh, this first ever dead show at Poly Pavilion, which was the famed home court for the UCLA Bruins. Uh, John Wooden was the coach who won uh, nine championships in 10 years or 10 championships in 11 years, Uh, but nothing that anybody's come close to matching since uh, till then. Uh, A team that following the amazing success of the Lew Alcindor slash Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and then the Sydney Wicks era Uh, Now, Bill was beginning to lead the team for the first time, along with his teammates, Jamal Wilkes and Greg Lee. Spoiler alert, Bill does wind up having some success at UCLA, uh, a little bit in the NBA, and he did go on to become an NBA All-Star and a regular attendee of Dead Shows. And as Alex can certainly attest, uh, not unusual to see him at West Coast Dead Shows right up until the very end. Kind of hard to miss a seven-footer with red hair and a tie-dye apparel. Uh, rumor has it, when they knew he was going to be there, the band would set up a hoop backstage. And uh, Roy, uh, Bruce Hornsby, during his days with the band, uh, was no, known to join in, too. So um, 1971's a fun time. There's all sorts of great things going on. And uh, not just Bertha, but The Dead, uh, just a month earlier, two months earlier, had unpacked a, a large number of new tunes. And um, let's roll the next one, Dan. Tennessee Jed, well-known to Deadheads Everywhere, was one of the new songs played at this show. Uh, Tennessee Jed, along with Mexicali Blues, One More Saturday Night, Ramble on Bro- Rose, and Jack Straw had all just been played for the first uh, time ever one month earlier on October 19, 1971 at the Northrop Auditorium in Minneapolis, also Keith uh, Gaucho's first show with the band. A tune that more than most really captures the change in the band's direction, as you have Garcia, previously of Dark Star, St. Stephen, and the Eleven fame, twanging away musically and vocally on a song with a field that's across between country western and a dash of rock and roll. Uh, Deadheads of Alex in My Era will note how much quicker the tempo is in this early version, and Garcia's noticeable energy evident from his strong vocal performance. The tune was played 436 times by the band in concert, putting it at number 15 on the Dead's list of most tunes played. Uh, as indicated, first played back in October 1971 in Mini, and last played on July 8, 1995 at Soldier Field. A great sing-along tune that Deadhead's always enjoyed, normally found in the first set, Someone Towards the Middle. Now, instead of just uh, rocking and rolling out for the next little while here, we are going to take a break and switch over and uh, start chatting with our uh, guest and my good buddy, Alex Wellens, coming to us live from lovely San Francisco. Alex, how you doing? Thank you so much for taking the time
1: to join us today. Doing great, Larry, and thank you very much, as always, for having me. Always a pleasure to be on. Well, it is our pleasure. You know, the, the Wellens family
0: uh, is 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 practically synonymous with this show uh your wife andy greenberg was our first guest ever Uh, max was our very short-lived but first ever temp or, or intern or whatever and now is uh you know he's on to much bigger and better things that we may get to today um and then of course uh you know there's always my buddy jake who uh you know may be the coolest of the group but uh More than that, um, you know, you really bring to the table a lot of very unique uh, skill sets and knowledgeable bases that, uh, you know, the average deadhead might find very interesting. So let's just cut to the chase. What was the final number? Did you break 300 shows? I did
1: not. I was uh, just slightly over 250, did not quite get to 300, but um, was certainly talking to uh, some friends recently. And, um, yeah, these, these days we think it's really... Exciting to see new venues or sometimes new va- bands or new configurations of the bands that we know and love. And I'm um, excited to chat about some of those things with you today. I'll also sure go back to your Bill Walton intro. I, I would say anybody that um, ever, it was always a thrill to see Bill at the shows. I have a little um, personal uh, Bill Walton uh very positive bias he was also a very important member of the one of the Celtics uh, championship teams arguably the greatest six man to ever come off the bench in NBA history. I'm sure sports fans is well as Deadheads can have a lot of arguments about that, and you, <laughs> as, you as a Bulls uh, longtime Bulls fan, and me as a longtime sure. Celtics fan, could have some good discussions about that. But and we have yeah. that uh, 85 Celtics team, else with Walton coming off the bench. I'll certainly take up there in the pantheon of NBA great, NBA championship best teams ever. So I uh, no argument here. And I, you mentioned you were nice enough to mention our kids, Jake and Max, and. The first time they saw him at a show was we saw Dead and Company do a New Year's show here in San Francisco a couple of years ago. and they really freaked out when they saw him in person in the crowd, on the floor. and we sort of wandered over and just hung around, you know, danced around near him during the uh, during the set. And Bill, I always thought, was quite um, polite. You meant, you know, given his uh, height, And he always sort of hung out by the soundboard where he truly tried to not block people. And that's (laughs) that's hard for a guy who's 7'3 or 7'4 or whatever he is to do. And Uh he was always a uh, very positive uh, force, still is. And um, uh, he, you know, it was always a thrill to see him uh, in person just really rocking out and enjoying himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I was uh, honored enough to see him at one or two
0: shows uh, over the career of my uh, going to Grateful Dead shows. But um, yeah, you know, it's always fun to see a celebrity and, you know, Bill is, in fact, uh, this today's show was released by the Grateful Dead as Dave's picks volume number 48, uh, the final release of their 12th year. So Dave is now well surpassed Dick uh, but this time the little uh, show review uh, background stuff is all written by Bill Walton and it's all done within the context of any, of course, the way Bill Walton would do it, right? Me getting to UCLA, me meeting coach John Wooden, me meeting my teammates and understanding the big important role I was coming out here to fill. And here's the Grateful Dead coming onto our campus. And, you know, it's great stuff, you know, and especially if you like Walton, it it, it, it reads very well and it's very funny, but uh, yeah, he's a great connection into the shows and, um, and uh, always fun to see. Now, uh, for our listeners out there, let me just say that in our circle of friends and Alex and I really overlap in you know, at least two or three good circles of, of, of folks that we know and love and go to dead shows with and Michigan football games with and, and all sorts of good stuff like that. But it doesn't really matter which of the groups uh, we're hanging out with or what we're doing. He has uh, uh, come out of all of them far and away as the guy with you know what we call the best uh, live concert karma out there. Uh, Alex will know where a show is when it's playing when tickets go on sale. Uh, he knows this about shows coming to my town to his town to a town neither one of us are in. He's planned trips around concerts. Uh, his lovely wife and our good friend Andy uh, loves music too. So it works out really well for her. Although I can tell you, it's very difficult trying to keep up with the Wellens Greenbergs and all of this musical travel that they do. Um, but that's how I have was turned on to a large number of bands that I uh, now listen to with some regularity, uh, as time permits. And uh, we always look and wait for Alex to come back and uh, give us a little update and some plugs on uh, the new stuff that he's seen out there that uh, certainly hasn't really crossed our radar yet. So, uh, Alex, I know you've been uh, very busy attending shows lately. Uh, what are some of the good ones out there? Who are some of the people you're seeing that uh, you're, you're really raving about?
1: Well... Yeah, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up today was uh my wife Andy and I were lucky enough to go to Vegas a couple of weeks ago and see you two at the sphere. Oh and I mentioned uh, you know, new venues and new experiences and yeah, you know, Larry, for guys like us that have seen uh, more than our fair share of concerts, uh, you know, now certainly well over into the thousands when you add dead shows with many many other shows we've seen over the last uh, 40 50 years um, uh, the yeah you know, it's 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 when you see it's it's pretty rare that you or I will go to a concert whatever it is and say wow I've never seen anything like that before and that was certainly the case at the sphere so for those folks who may not be aware the sphere is a new Concert and entertainment venue in Las Vegas. It's built by James Dolan, who owns Madison Square Garden, and the Sphere is—they actually broke it out as its separate own separate public company. So there's Madison Square Garden, uh, and now there's the Sphere, is publicly traded. So there's some inf- a lot of information out there. It is really it is, as its name implies, it is a sphere. Uh, it is enormous. It's down by the closest Vegas hotel. For those of you who know Vegas a little bit, it's the closest hotel is the Venetian. It's technically connected to the Venetian uh, convention center. Uh, so behind the strip, sort of behind the uh giant Ferris wheel that they have there. And it's right by the tram. Uh yes, back exactly right. So it is, it is unmissable. And in fact, there is, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but they say that you can see it from outer space. So if you were out in the space shuttle or something that, and and it is so bright and they call the, the outside the exosphere and they constantly play um, videos and they run some advertisements and they have really cool whether it's underwater scenes or natural scenes or, you know, like when NBA uh, games or basketball tournaments are there, they turn it into a giant basketball. And it is just really exceptionally cool to see just from the outside and really changes, you know, between the Eiffel Tower there and the Bellagio Fountains and the Ferris Wheel, Las Vegas does not lack for spectacular things to see. And this is certainly one that will remain on that skyline and be, you know, one of the really tremendously cool things you can see in Vegas just from the outside. And uh, they're doing a, a lot of business selling ads and uh, promoting things and the formula one race is there this weekend. And, you know, they're doing a lot with it. So it's, it's very quickly become a very cool part of the Vegas uh skyscape or landscape, if you will. And uh, I would encourage everybody to Google it and check it out if you haven't already. Um, and then inside um, it, yeah, it. How's
0: it laid out seating wise? Is it more like a, theater or like a sports arena.
1: So it's a it is, you know, it is truly round, so it's like, you know, you can think of it as like the world's biggest sort of planetarium or IMAX theater <laughs> is a good way to think about it. There are four there are four seating levels and then at the very bottom there is a general admission spot on the floor and the I think the IMAX theater is a good Uh, analogy for it because one of the most striking things is you go in and you're going to go for a U2 concert and there are no speakers other than the monitors on the stage there are no speakers anywhere because the speakers are all built in behind the screen um, like and I'm you know like if you went to an IMAX theater and so that you know that's very striking especially for people who've gone to a lot of concerts you know you typically see oh the Humongous speakers and stacks and rigs that they have, and it is a truly immersive experience. In that, so it is. It is by far. Uh, apparently, it's got like more than one hundred and fifty thousand speaker drivers in there, um, and so it is by far. It, it is a true escalation of the concert audio experience. And if you think about seeing, you know, in this case, U2, not even arguably, clearly one of the world's biggest bands. If you think about it, seeing them in what is, you know, effectively the largest IMAX theater or planetarium sort of environment, that'll give you a feel for it, where they can truly manipulate the sound and the visuals in a way that no concert goer has ever seen before. And so it's, it's really, I don't, it was an incredible experience. We can talk more about it. I don't want to see every concert like that, but it is a truly unique next level concert experience, which again, if you, you know, guys like us, luckily enough to see a lot of things and go to a lot of shows in our time, it's, it's truly something that is a next level, sort of next generation experience in terms of sound, in terms of visuals, in terms of the whole experience. And so I feel very fortunate that I was able to see it. And um, yeah, we'll talk about, we can talk about the future there. U2 U2 is, uh, they're committed to playing there through February. They're basic for the weeks they're there. They play, I think three shows a week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. They're committed through February and they have not announced the next artist playing there. One interesting element is it's really set up to do for artists to do residencies, uh, because you have to create, in order to really make use of the, the Sphere experience, you have to create special visuals for it. So for example, for U2, they have a very famous album that most of us know called Joshua tree. And so for many of the, when they would play the songs from Joshua tree, it was like the band was in, was playing in Joshua tree and the completely high definition. I, it was really a spectacular experience and then all sorts of crazy, you know, trippy visuals or nature visuals or, or just Projecting the band up onto the screen so the people in the higher levels could see it. My wife and I uh, had great seats. we in the we were in the 100 level, lower level, right above the floor, so we had a you know we had a great view of the band and the visuals. If you were really up high, I'd say if you were in the 300 or 400 level. It's really, yeah, I said to someone, you might as well just go to a, like a YouTube planetarium show because you're so far away. It's not really worth paying a lot for that, in my opinion. For true concert fans, you want to be in the 100 level or the 200 level so you you feel close enough to the band. And the GA um, is quite small and you can get really close to the band and it wasn't overly packed down there when... um, when we were there, we just like being a little above that, so no one's blocking it, and also we really wanted to make sure we could see the the visuals very clearly. So it was a tremendous experience. I think uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see what kind of bands they get. Um, certainly in the jam band um, genre, there's there's quite a bit of chatter that Fish is going to do something there. Um, the Sphere holds about. 18,000 people. So it's like a, you know, United center or Madison square garden or chase center out here. Fish, you know, certainly has no problem selling out the Baker's dozen shows at the, uh, at the garden. And so they, they would be an ideal type of band to do that.
0: Well, and they're so creative. It would be wonderful to see them take advantage of that. You know, as you're describing all of this, I'm thinking what we missed out on, right? We saw our share of uh, dead shows in Las Vegas, of course was outside in the hot sun, but uh you know, imagine uh, you know what some of their creative people could have done with that type of technology and equipment
1: uh absolutely um it is uh and and ironically um we we didn't see him ourselves um but uh Bob Weir was from the dead was there the night that we were there, and somebody sent me a social media thing afterwards, and he was uh they have a few uh luxury boxes below the two hundred section and that's where he was and so clearly number one i think i'm sure he was just interested to check it out but there's certainly a lot of speculation that if they did something again on a larger scale like dead and company and obviously visuals and iconic imagery is a big part of the dead um experience uh, you know, as evidenced by the drone shows that we got to see. I was at the Boulder Dead and Company shows and the, the the drone show there again was super cool. I'd never seen one in person before that. And it just made a made for a really cool experience. And, you know, you, t- you take that, you know, and multiply, you know, exponentially cooler um things you can do with with visuals and with video in the sphere so you know i think it's safe to say that some jam bands will play there for sure and i think you know fish would be a a great candidate and i have no doubt that they could sell out a lot of shows there and and do a a big vegas run so so we'll we'll see
0: about that yeah they're out there every year over halloween anyway playing at one of those venues out there where they why not switch over to that? That would be great. That would really be a lot of fun. Can they, can they have sporting events in this thing?
1: Uh, I guess you technically could. I don't think it's not really designed for that on right now they're running. Um, they have sort of a nature planetarium show um, that is running on non-show days. I think it's a Richard Attenborough um, type, you know, it's supposed to be amazing and it really shows off the audio and visual uh, uh power of the sphere. And it, it's, I, I, I saw some stat that they're doing like a million dollars a day in ticket sales for that. So, yeah, they're, they're using it for a lot of different things. And, um, you know, you just mentioned the Vegas experience with, you know, Fish and others. And uh, the U2 show was really cool. it um, uh, we are, We're good. You know, we're big U2 fans. I've probably seen them a dozen times or so. I don't you know, normally like travel around to see them, but love their music. One of the, you know, a couple of the cool things, one of the things I really respect about you 2 is that generally speaking, as the bands and the artists we love get older, they expand the size of their bands to sort of fill in. And, um, you know, Bruce Springsteen, who I love and have seen many, many, many times, you know, now has like I don't know, 15, 18 people in the band. And that's great. And it's, it's a, but, but it's a very different sound. Um, the Rolling Stones, whenever, the, you know, for, for many years now when they have toured, they have, you know, 12 people on stage, background singers and horns. And, and it's great. It, it's part of this big show experience. But one thing I think is really special about you two is that it's still the four guys. Now, in this case, Larry Mullins is not on drums. He, Is ill, I believe. So they've got somebody else sitting in, but it is still just those four guys. And I think that's, and it always has been. And I think that's one super impressive thing about them. And, you know, they played a lot of their classics. Uh, It's billed as Octong Baby. So they do a lot of songs from Octong Baby. They also, as I mentioned, they do a lot of uh, Joshua Tree songs, a lot of, you know, a lot of others. Um, but you know, all the, the monster hits that you want to hear mysterious ways and one and, um, uh, vertigo and where the streets have no name and elevation, beautiful day, all, you know, all the big ones that you want to hear. They also played some rarities and, um, they definitely brought in some Vegas elements to it. They, uh, at one point did a little clip of, uh, Viva Las Vegas during one of their songs. They brought in a, a My Way, a little snippet of My Way during one of the songs. Sort of, sort of the nod back to the Rat Pack and things like that. So you know, they made it very cool and special. And they do mix the set list up um, uh, pretty much every night. They have. You know, it's, it's like most big artists, it's the standard set list, and then they have four or five spots where they'll mix in different songs every night. So really cool experience, highly recommend it. And again, anytime you can see something really new and different and cool at this point, I think it is uh, that makes it special for uh, concert goers like us who have uh, been very fortunate to see, see a lot.
0: How is it in terms of, you know, getting in and out of the, of the venue before and after the shows? Do they move the crowd well? Do you have long lines there? You know.
1: Is it- yeah, I, th- I thought they moved it pretty well. It was not, I, I the first few shows I read about people were really complaining about lines and how long it took to get in and out. We didn't really experience that. There was a little delay to get out. And, you know, look, it's like anything in Vegas. It takes you a half hour to get, like, as you know you've been there we've been there together you've been there many times like just to get to whatever hotel you're going you know if one to get to the Aria from the Cosmopolitan which are right next to each other it'll take you a half hour so it's certainly you know you don't just like walk in but you know i thought they did a pretty good job
0: okay okay so
1: be one of those places
0: that will uh... I will certainly look forward to getting a chance to go and check out one of these days and uh, you know, maybe a fish decides to play there. That could be impetus enough to uh, get up and make my way over there. So very cool. Now, when you and I were talking the other day, you were also telling me kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum uh, about this new theater in the Castro district that uh, you and Andy went to see some music over a weekend or so ago. Can you tell us about that one?
1: Yeah, sure. So the Castro, um, for those who've been to San Francisco, the Castro theater is an iconic classic old uh, started as a movie theater and um, it's right on Castro street, got a beautiful old marquee that's lit up at night. And it's one of those really cool old grand old movie theaters that has the organ that, you know, like rises up from the floor and they used to play it, you know, before, movies or when they have intermissions at movies, either the organ player would come up and play and, and they still have that. Um, and they have uh, one of our local promoter companies, Another Planet Entertainment that puts on a, a lot of shows here in the Bay Area has just done a deal with them to start putting on shows there. So we saw uh, last Friday night, we saw a band called St. Paul and the Broken Bones, which is a really good act uh, from Alabama, sort of a Neo soul, uh, retro, uh, you know, sort of a retro soul sound with a more modern flavor to it. Um, very danceable, you know, some sort of disco ish type stuff and old soul stuff and really, really cool sound, very charismatic singer and a great band. And it was, I've, I've lived in San Francisco now for, um, more than 30 years and it was really cool just to be at one of the old venues that you know we've seen movies there over the many movies over the years and been to other events and they have nonprofits do events there things like that but um this was the first real rock show you know music show that we've seen there and it was really cool um good sound a lot of um uh you know, like the Beacon Theater in New York or the classic old theaters uh, in many cities, very ornate inside, cool ceiling, cool um, uh, decorations and paintings and things all over. So, you know, absolutely, as you said, the opposite of the sphere, sphere, this probably holds, I don't know, 1,500 people maybe and, you know, very old theater, but iconic old theater, but very cool that they're doing this. They're going to keep the history of the Castro and continue to do film festivals. And there's a lot of, as you can imagine, um, LGBTQ sort of events there and things like that. But also, you know, really the merchants in the Castro were all very much behind this move to start bringing shows there. And certainly it was sold out. And afterwards there are a lot of people spilling into the street and going to restaurants and things like that. So I think it's going to be very good for the neighborhood. And it was uh, definitely a cool experience to see a rock show at a venue you've been to many, many times before for other purposes. I bet. And, you know, I mean, it's like, as if, San Francisco needed another
0: cool musical venue. I mean, the city's practically teeming with them and, you know, but it's nice that they add another one to the mix and, you know, it just gives the rest of us more incentive to get out there more often and have a chance
1: to experience it all. Well, absolutely. It's, we're, we're very blessed here. And certainly one of the great things about San Francisco and and the Bay area generally is that we have, uh, we are blessed with some of the coolest nicest venues out here, you know, our Greek Theater in Berkeley is still one of the iconic beautiful venues. I saw the Counting Crows there uh, a couple of months ago and uh, which is a, you know, band we've loved for many many years and he the lead singer grew up here and went to Berkeley, so it's always very special when they play there and just being at the Greek and that view at sunset over San Francisco, and we can see the Golden Gate Bridge, is you know, there's really nothing like it. And down to the very small venues, and like the Great American Music Hall, which is still probably my favorite small venue of all time, um, just given the incredible shows um, I've seen there and been fortunate to actually put together some shows that have played there. So it's uh, so we, we have a and and um, I did, you know, two other two other venues that you and I were talking about that uh, a couple of shows that that are uh, were interesting and back to the Grateful Dead centric um, part of the program here. So was lucky to see um, we saw Billy and the Kids, which is Bill Kreutzmann's band on Halloween down at a venue called the Mountain Winery, which is down sort of towards Sil- Silicon Valley above a little town called Saratoga sort of down near like palo alto people know sort of above in the hills above that was a was an actual uh, winery and there's sort of a a very beautiful if you look it up there's a very beautiful old brick wall or stone wall behind the stage with ivy growing on it and looks like a classic winery wall and um, up above you can see sort of beautiful views down over silicon valley and i mean it is really a valley. Of course, it's known for technology now, but it was farmland and it is, it is quite beautiful. And, um, on Halloween, you know, there were a nice number of costumes out. So Billy, uh, for those, it was my first time seeing that lineup, but Billy, uh, was out there and looking great. Um, and, you know, seemed very, very happy. And the lead guitarist was Tommy Hamilton from JRAD who, Joe is always almost dead, which, you know, we've seen a lot together, Larry, and and certainly of the dead um, genre bands, certainly one of my, probably my favorites of the the bands that don't usually have the actual dead members in them. Um, and I think he's amazing. And they, um, they put on a great show. It was really, I liked it a lot. Uh, they played, uh, you know, a bunch of dead songs, but they also, they opened up with, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They played Spanish Moon. They put a random psycho killer um, in there, which was a lot of fun, and closed with a very powerful a cappella, Addicts of My Life, um, in tribute to a saxophone player named James Casey who played with j Rad quite a bit and was in the Trey band as you probably know Larry um and is a you know one of the horn members uh that's played with Trey and with um Jennifer Hartswick and some of the other uh, great horn players that uh, Trey and, and and others and James passed away tragically recently and so they did a little tribute to him this really gorgeous addicts in my life to, to close out the show. So that was, that was really cool. And again, uh, at a cool venue and, um, uh, on- does Billy join in the singing of that song? Billy did not. <laughs> he was, yeah. uh, sitting back at his drum. He, he, he hit his hi hat a few times and sort of kept a little bit of a beat, but it was, it was largely a cappella. They strummed a little guitar and, but really you know, not, not perfect, but I think, um, the imperfections there are also part of the uh, addicts experience. So that was, that was really cool. Nice. And then we, we also were lucky enough to see Phil Lesh and friends. Uh, One of his configurations um, just a few days later was kind of ironic um, over about a 10 day period out here. Bob Weir played with the symphony at the at the Frost Amphitheater, another legendary venue here on the Stanford campus. Then Billy played the show I was just talking about. Then um, uh, that was on the Tuesday. Then on the Friday, we got to see Phil at the Fillmore, which, you know, is always a treat. And um, Phil looked great. And at 83, he was you know out there till almost midnight smiling, you know, up a storm and played with a bunch of young guys, mostly young guys that, um, you know, very talented, Eric Eric Krasno and um, a a number of, you know, really talented young musicians, which I always think, uh, I I always really respect about Phil. He surrounds himself with a number of younger players that push the envelope and and, and push him. And uh, he's clearly having a lot of fun out there. And, you know, certainly you can't talk about legendary San Francisco venues and not mention the Fillmore. So that was always a great experience and super lucky to be here in San Francisco, be able to see these things. And, um, there was, uh, there were two, I was looking back at the, you know, thinking about those two shows and there were two songs that were repeated at each. Uh, they, they, Billy and Phil each played Shakedown and they each played That's Terrapin. Nice. And they were um, you know it was just interesting to think back on them. Phil, one really sweet thing, Phil and his son Graham traded vocals on the the um verses on Terrapin. And Thanks. um one time Phil clearly forgot the verse <laughs> and graham, you know graham his son stepped in and covered for him which was a very very sweet moment sure um sure. and i mean it, that was great i gotta say that you can't beat tom hamilton playing the leads on terrapin no. that, that's just that was wonderful i agree and then on shakedown um both shakedowns are great again the intro on for the Billy and the kids shakedown was it did just a unbelievable Pink Floyd run like hell jam. And that was the beginning of the second Saturn We thought we were going to get the full Pink Floyd experience there, but they just then ripped into shakedown, which was you know, also really, really cool. So, yeah. um, you know, I've been very fortunate seeing some good stuff recently at some very cool venues and Excellent. definitely encourage the listeners. If you haven't been to these places, uh, you know, head out to Vegas or come out to San Francisco and some come check out some of the cool places to see live music here.
0: Okay, I'm in. You've convinced me again. We, My wife and I learned the hard way. You run the risk if you blow off a show that Alex recommends. I've told the story before, not the last time we were all down at Jazz Fest, and uh, Carl Denson and his group were doing the Almond Brothers at some small little theater and my wife hesitated back and forth and finally decided she needed those extra hours of sleep. And when I came back and walked in the door, the first thing she said was, don't tell me that was the highlight of the weekend. I'm like, of course it was the highlight. Yeah. <laughs> you think Alex is going to schlep us to somewhere if it's not the highlight? Of course it was. Yeah. So, you know, you, you miss
1: them at your own risk. It's just the way it is. Well, I try to provide a public service and it's um, up to people to pick <laughs> me up pick me up on it or not. So, That's right.
0: Excellent. 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 Well, that's great, man. Yeah. I love that, that, you know, we all try to get out and see shows and stay on top of it, but it's wonderful how much, you know, live music you guys really actually get to see and uh, how much you love it for years. Alex would do uh, an end of the year annual, my top 10 favorite shows or concert moments for the preceding year. And it was something that we all looked for religiously because once we read it, we were so much more knowledgeable and could hang out and talk with people about this and that and whatever. And Sound like we knew what we were talking about, but uh like many things in life, I believe that that may be a bit of a relic in the past, although you never know you could bring it back
1: sometimes. It was a relic I forget exactly when I cut that off, but um I have had some very, very generous and nice requests to bring it back so we'll uh we'll 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 see about that definitely had some really high point you know amidst um look one of the things about our French our, our friend group is that we all love doing this we love doing this together seeing shows together experiencing those live music moments together and that is a big part of how we bonded and love to spend time together and um, larry the first time you and i really really became friends was uh 1984 going to the uh, c3 show at the Philadelphia Civic Center, and that's where our friendship—we had met a couple of times before—but that's where our friendship right. really, uh, truly began, I would say. And so I would agree. We're Three very great shows. Very fortunate that um, it really is something that pulls people together, and I think that's one of the really special things about live music, uh, generally. So,
0: and, and you know, what's so nice, I think for both of us, uh, we've had the experience of seeing our kids carry on that tradition. Uh, my son, Matthew has a very, very tight group of his fish buddies and people that he goes to concerts with all over the place. Uh, you know, Max is up to his eyeballs in live music, it seems. And, uh, you know, I had the privilege uh, earlier this year of hosting Jake and his buddy as they were driving cross country to go to, uh, the electric forest. And, you know, I, there's a part of me that just wanted to get in the car and drive off with them. And my wife keeps reminding me that I'm not in my twenties anymore or thirties, whatever age these kids are. I'm in my sixties. I was like, it doesn't mean I still can't want to go. Right. But, uh, it's just wonderful to see that, you know, that of, you know, the various traits that we might pass on to our kids, this idea of live music and, and doing it with really strong groups of friends
1: has really caught on with them as well. And I think that's great. Well, it really is. And I'll wrap up with just a couple of, Comments about that. So yeah. So tonight, Jake is going with some friends to see uh, jam band Pigeons playing ping pong at another venue that I haven't mentioned here. And Pigeons is a is a cool young young jam band. A lot of fun. They play a lot of cool good covers. Opening up for them is uh, Dogs in a Pile, which ironically does not play Grateful Dead songs, but is a young is a young sort of ripping band anyway. So um, and Max. Um, has you know certainly goes to more. He lives in Colorado and he goes to more shows than any of us. And one really cool thing is, you know, Larry Max uh, plays the saxophone, and oh, yeah. he played a friend of his at the Great
0: American Music Hall. He
1: did, and a lot of friend uh, a friend of his is a DJ, and Max laid down a sax track for one of his you know, DJ, so like a EDM-type song. I, I would characterize it. That may be wrong. And the friend, the, the DJ, played at Red Rocks the other night and played the song that Max played on. So Max did not yet oh, wow. play at Red Rocks, but max's music was played at red rocks which was a big thrill getting there he sent us a little video and that was a real thrill for us
0: i'm sure well that's wonderful well very good well listen we really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today and uh, as always filling us in on the things going on in music that we don't know but need to know and um you know it, it all sounds good and i'm looking forward to the next time we're gonna get together and go off to see some
1: live music well thanks larry always happy to uh always happy to chat with you and come on the show and be a guest anytime. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you again to Alex for, for joining on. He's living a very busy life these days, but made time to uh, join us and very, very much appreciated. We're not going to have time to play all the great music that I pulled for today, but that's okay. Because all the talking we did was far more interesting. Um, But I do want to just play At least one more song and that's um uh the grateful dead uh performing the song jack straw at this concert and uh i I, i'm I'm pulling this one out because it was a new song and uh there's a little wrinkle in it that that we haven't heard before or that that we haven't heard since i should say um but it's it's very interesting and very fun so dan if you could spin uh that next track jack straw for us that would be great thank you sir We can chill, when we got to few so we talked about them playing a lot of new songs at this uh at this show and in, in, at ucla uh, and this is another one that's just a month old uh everyone loves jack straw uh even this band which is why it checks out uh very high on the list of most tunes played by the band with 476 performances uh the last one on july 8th 1995 at soldier field as well but in this early version there's a little bit of a change from the version we all know and love and the first thing to know that most people may not know is that this is a song that was written by Robert Hunter and Bob Weir. Garcia did not write this song. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't know that people really understand that or know it, um, but this is important that, you know, that Hunter uh, and Weir did compose some songs together. Uh, and this is one that Jerry did not write uh, that Bobby may not get enough credit for. Um, but it was always sung at least ever since I started seeing them and, Uh, you know, pretty far back with Jerry and Bobby sharing the verses um, uh, as they would be trading off verses, uh, you know, as as they go through the song. However, in this early version that we're hearing before the Europe 72 tour, when the song, you know, originally came out, Bobby sang all the verses uh, like we just heard. I just jumped the watchman right outside the fence was always sung by Jerry but here we're sings it. I'm not sure of the reason for the change, but I like it a lot better with Jerry singing his verses. The other one being the "Guy to go to Tulsa first train we can ride verse. Um, the first time though, that Jerry joined him on vocals was May 3rd, 1972 at the Olympia theater in Paris. And that just also happens to be um, of the version of the song that wound up on Europe, on the Europe 72 album. So maybe Garcia knew what he was doing at the time and made sure he'd get a little more of that airplay too. Um, uh, although in its earlier years, the song would appear in either the first or second set. After their 75 hiatus, it became almost an exclusive first set song. And after Brent joined the band, it was almost always a, a show opener. Uh, home to the more than occasional Phil Bass Bomb, it was one of the band's most popular tunes and a great way to open any show, uh, especially if they just opened with Birth of the Night before. So you got to catch them both, you know, in the same city or on, on the uh, uh, on the same night. So uh love Jack Straw, love that version of Jack Straw and it fits right in with everything they were doing. I do have one quick marijuana story today that I want to throw out there so uh, before I do we'll give Dan a chance to display his creativity here. Black Sabbath. Okay, very good. I love Ozzy. I wasn't sure. Didn't want. Didn't want to put myself too far on a limb out there. But excellent choice again, as always. Another new study that I'm just throwing out there because last week we spent all this time focused on the idea that there was a group that is linking uh, marijuana use and and heart attacks, and we kind of went through and pointed out some of the issues I had with that, uh, and and more to the point, noted all of the so, the large number of studies uh, that were coming out just saying positive things about marijuana uh, in, the, in the health field. And lo and behold, here's another one, right? So thank you to Marijuana Moment. They're reporting a, on a story about a study that finds that marijuana helps people quit using prescription sleep aids and allows them to wake up more focused and refreshed. Uh, so compared to using conventional sleep aids or no sleep aids at all, Respondents reported that cannabis made them feel more refreshed, focused, and better able to function the morning after, with fewer headaches and less nausea. nausea. They did also report some side effects from marijuana use, including including waking up feeling a little bit sleepy, maybe anxious uh, and uh, irritable. Um, But overall, they said that these side effects that they felt were far less significant with marijuana than they were with any of the prescription sleep aids. Uh, or even over-the-counter ones uh, that that we all know and that we're all used to. The study was conducted by a pair of psychology researchers at Washington State University and was published last month in the journal Exploration of Medicine. The authors say they believe it's the first research comparing cannabis to prescription sleep aids and over-the-counter sleep aids. Uh, One of the uh, uh, leaders of the study said, in general, The use of cannabis for sleep-related issues was perceived as more advantageous than over-the-counter medications or prescription sleep aids. Unlike long-acting sedatives and alcohol, cannabis was not associated with a hangover effect, although, again, uh, they did report some lingering effects such as sleeplessness and maybe a change in mood. Uh, The study surveyed uh, over 1,200 people. Uh, Using the medical marijuana app StrainPrint, nearly two-thirds, 64.9% of participants reported that they'd been suffering from sleep issues for at least five years, while nearly 70% said they'd be using cannabis to help with sleep for at least a year. A plurality of respondents said that they'd been using marijuana for sleep for between one and three years. Nearly 82% of the cannabis consumers said they do not currently use prescription or over-the-counter sleep medications Though more than half reported doing so in the past, indicating that they that they have uh, indicating that they have come to see uh, marijuana as a better option for them, more than half of the sample reported that they use cannabis every night to help fall asleep. Most respondents said they either smoke joints, forty six point one percent, or vape flower, forty two point six percent, or some use cannabis oil, forty two point five percent, before bed. Although nearly a third said they use edibles or vape pens. Uh, Another 14.6% said they use cannabis in in, uh, capsule form. In terms of product makeup, most respondents used high THC products, although 21% opted for balanced THC CBD blend, asked about cannabinoids for sleep, 78.8% said uh, choose THC, 47.1% said CBD and 18.1% pointed to CBN. One of the findings that surprised me, the, uh, the, the study's author said, was the fact that people are seeking the terpene myrcene in cannabis to assist with sleep. Uh, he said that it, uh, in the w, uh, Washington State University press release, there is some evidence in the scientific literature to support that myrcene may help to promote sleep. So cannabis users seem to have figured that out on their own. Some would argue that cannabis users have figured a lot out on their own just because of the fact that it's been illegal and doctors haven't really been able to focus on it and, and incorporate it in. But those of us that know, know. Um, asked to report how cannabis helps with their sleep, respondents said that it relaxed their body and mind, helped prevent sleep interruption, and promoted a deeper, longer sleep. Um of the uh, 526 people who reported using prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids, in addition to marijuana, significantly more reported that they feel more refreshed, more focused, and better able to function in the morning after using cannabis relative to over-the-counter sleep aids uh, or uh, prescription sleep aids or no sleep aids. Participants also reported fewer headaches and less nausea uh, the morning after. So uh, this report just goes on and on and on, extolling the virtues of marijuana uh, for people who have trouble sleeping. Um, I often recommend it to my friends who have trouble sleeping. Uh, Some are willing to give it a try, some don't want to. Uh, All very well understood. Um, But the studies that I've seen uh, that relate to this as well as personal experiences on my own and uh, as reported from other people uh, is that marijuana does provide uh, a very valuable benefit for certain people, some groups of people, certainly, uh, when it comes to uh, helping promote sleep, reduce the stress and anxieties of the day and kind of put your brain in a place where you can uh, get yourself into a sleep mode. But to me, the more important part is that it's just another study that's out there uh, that once again speaks to um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the social benefits, the positive benefits, medical benefits, uh, well-living benefits, whatever kind you want to call them, uh, that people over and over and over and over again report uh, are benefits they receive from THC, whether they smoke it, whether they vape it, whether they eat edibles. Uh, the, the 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 reports are always consistent of these of the positive feedback, and yet we still have groups out there, as we've talked, uh, that want to rain on everybody's parade and say, "No, no, it's too dangerous. We know better than you." We we've talked about uh, certain government officials, not all Republicans, but a lot of them, who say that the uh, DEA should not be allowed to change the uh, classification on the controlled substance list for marijuana from one down to three like they've been talking about or anything lower than that, unless Congress is consulted and gets to have a say in the matter, people just get these outsized opinions and, and a true lack of understanding about what they're talking about. And that's where a lot of this uh, uh, confusion comes from. Um, but as long as these studies keep coming out, we're going to keep reporting them because I do believe that they establish an important point and that uh, something we really want to know. Um we're running out of time here so I'm not going to be able to play all the music I want to play for you guys today but I am uh, going to flip around a little bit and uh, rather than saving this for our outro uh, we're going to call up the song You Win Again and uh, we're going to play that now as we uh, uh, get ready to exit stage left it's a 1952 song by Hank Williams uh, and as Alex was kind enough after we talked about this early on to let me know apparently the only Hank Williams tune uh, covered by uh, Jerry Garcia, uh, the, song, the song is a blues ballad and deals with the song uh, with the singer's despair with his partner. It has been widely covered, including versions by Ray Charles, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roy Orbison, of course, the Grateful Dead, Charlie Pride, Bob Dylan, and even the Rolling Stones. Hank Williams recorded "You Win Again" on July 11, nineteen fifty-two, one day after his divorce from Marjorie Williams was finalized. Uh, like "Cold, Cold Heart," the song was likely inspired by his tumultuous relationship with his ex-wife. You Win Again was released as the B-side to "Set the Woods on Fire," primarily because um-tempo danceable numbers were preferable as A-sides for radio play and for the valuable jukebox trade. Nonetheless, You Win Again peaked at number ten on the most played uh, in the CNW jukebox charges charges uh, while it remained on the list uh, over a time period of less than one year. The Dead played the song only 24 times in concert, the first on November 14, 1971. And uh, then the last was on September 16th, 1972, at the Music Hall in Boston. A version of the the song was released on the Europe 72 album. Uh, It's on the second album side from their show on May 24th, 1972, at the Strand Lyceum in London, one of the final shows of that tour. Jerry Garcia Band recorded a version of the song in 1976 during the Reflections album sessions, uh, but it was not played live again. It was briefly revived by the Dead with Dylan in 2003, and that was about all we got out of it. But it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful tune. But before we play it, um, I just have one last uh, comment that I want to make. Um, and uh, Alex and I were talking about our very good group of friends and uh, some of the various groups of them. And one of our uh, very good groups, a, a guy who we went to Michigan with and a guy who was certainly part of the West Coast music scene and always part of the scene of all the fun stuff we did was a, a guy named Andy Godin. Uh Rudy was his nickname. And... Uh, uh, I have uh, uh, many great memories of, of Rudy. Um, it, we suffered a brutal loss, our group uh, two weeks ago, uh, when Andy, formerly of Detroit, Ann Arbor, New York City, and most recently uh, for a number of years, Marin County, uh, passed away. Andy was a good friend, albeit one with a famous temper. He was someone who made an art out of enjoying life to the fullest. Uh, I have fond memories um of andy from ann arbor and after dead shows uh, attended together and one in particular right when he and i along with others uh post night one of the 85 uh, 20th anniversary greek shows marched up and down telegraph road in berkeley arm in arm after the show as the 10 tall men one of those moments you never forget we are all better uh for having known andy uh and uh, our lives are emptier Uh, with our feeling of loss. My condolences to his wife, Suzanne, and to his daughters, Lily and Grace. May your memories of uh, Andy always be a blessing for all of you. And I would say the same to our uh, strong group of friends, many who were able to make it out to California a week or two ago for a memorial service for Andy. Uh, We will always remember him in our hearts. And uh, he was just a fun, loving guy. So uh, with that, I will say, uh, have a great week. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I think we're going to have a rerun rerun next week because I promised my family uh, that I would take a few days off for Thanksgiving. So if Dan allows me, uh, we're going to dip into our vast vault of uh, prior shows and find one that everybody likes. But we'll be back soon after that with more great shows, more guests we're lining up. And uh, as always, lots of fun things to talk about in the world of live music, the Grateful Dead, and marijuana. So have a great week. Enjoy your holiday. Uh, Be safe. And as always, please enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thanks, everyone.